You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of The Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Welcome back to The Batuta Advocate radio show. You're joined by myself, Clancy Overall, editor of The Batuta Advocate, and Errol Parker, editor at large. How are you, Errol? Always good to be back in the studio, mate. How are you today? I'm good, I'm good. Would you still call this, this uh, these times uncertain? Would you still call it uncertain times we're living in? I, yeah, they are always uncertain, I think, especially, you know, with this cough going around. But I think things are getting back to normal and I think the silly season's over, so it's time to get back to work, Clancy. Our guest today works in, I guess you'd say, a, an area where uh, you never really sleep. So there's no really coming back to work because you never really leave work, particularly over the Christmas period. We're joined today by Father John Owen, pastor and CEO of Wayside Chapel, one of the kind of most uh, well-known and, and I guess iconic inner-city street ministries. Is that is that the term you'd use, Father John? Yeah, that, that's one of the ways we can refer to it. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's been out there since the 60s. And how long have you been with Wayside? Been there nearly five years. If you don't mind me asking, this is for you know the listeners on the tractor, who are, you know, you're, the closest thing you would have to Wayside Chapel out there in the bush would be probably the CWA. But, uh, you know, in, in town, there's a lot more people and there's a lot more p- vulnerable people. You know, the way, Wayside Chapel provides support to those that you see in the street when you pull into town, when you, when you kind of go to places like King's Cross or Woolloomooloo. You know, you've got to wonder where is the support net, if there is one, for, you know, for at-risk people. Wayside Chapel does provide a semblance of, uh, of the kind of support that people need down at the very bottom. And, and, and how did you find yourself in this kind of role? Well, I don't think anyone ever sets out to do this kind of gig. Yeah. You kind of stumble into it through uh, a whole bunch of experiences. And so, you know, p- part of my journey is kind of growing up and uh, trying to fumble my way forward as an, a little immigrant kid mm-hmm. uh, new to this country, grew up in Melbourne in the 70s and 80s, you know, and uh, tried to, my best to, to fit in as best I could and uh, tried to play footy and, and cricket and I was rubbish at both of them yeah. and that, that was a bit unfortunate. And then, you know, kind of got into university and got to the point where I was thinking, what the hell do I want to actually do with my life? And uh, the thing that I, I wanted to do the least was the thing I was able to do the most, which was be able to really connect with people who were doing it tough. I mean, I you know, I don't want to tell you a sob story. I mean, we, we didn't do it tough when, you know, when we migrated. Dad worked flipping hard to kind of set us up and establish us in this country. But uh, what I mean by that is, you know, just knowing what it's like to be kind of on the outer was always a big part of my DNA and I kind of set my life to to be the opposite of that is to kind of be a bit bulletproof and rock hard. But um, then I kind of noticed through, um, I went to university and they kind of, my lecturer sat me down and said, you're no good at this course. (laughs) I said, fair enough. It was computer science and electrical engineering. (laughs) (laughs) Stop trying to be such a corporate here. (laughs) He said, why don't you try something else? And so I, I dropped out for a year and kind of went and instead of, instead of traveling to Europe, like most of the guys are doing, I thought, I'll have a crack at, you know, volunteering somewhere. And I started working with asylum seekers from East Timor. And then that kind of led into work with uh, going into prisons, hanging out with some of the guys there and uh, just kind of realized that uh, this is the kind of stuff I want to be doing. And, uh, and it wasn't you know, in a standard way, like, you know, like you'd think about a rev going in and kind of doing Bible studies or something. It was just hearing these guys' stories and just helping them on their way when they were on the on the out. So um, 
started taking guys into my house, had about seven or eight guys seeking asylum, including around 2000. We had a whole bunch of guys uh, defecting from uh, the Olympics. Yeah, I was about yeah. to ask. Uh, they, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boxers and the like, there was a couple of... I mean, I won't ask too many questions because they're probably still around somewhere in... Uh, in Greater Sydney, but uh, yeah, yeah, all, all kinds of countries that we're, we're visiting during. The oh, absolutely! <laughs> we we had a ball too. So we had uh, we had a federal police raid on our house at one point, <laughs> and uh, we were harbouring some um, Sierra Leonean yeah, uh, right, athletes, yeah. Olympians, who you know just going back was just no option for them. Yeah. And uh, the, we 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 saw the federal police out the front of the house, and we had another house, a safe house down the road. So we thought, how do we? How do we pull them off the scent? So I dressed up in the tightest lycra I could find and ran out the front pretending to be an Olympian. And thankfully, both cars followed me. We <laughs> bought enough time, which was about half a block before they realised this bloke's no Olympian. And uh, we got the guys over to the safe house because they were trying to trialling laws around the 28-day rules yeah. around uh, whether you hear your case in immigration yeah. detention, which is still no place. You know, We wouldn't even put our, our worst enemy in that kind of yeah, in, yeah. environment. So you, I guess that that's the story there. You kind of come from, I mean, Malaysian background, Sri Lankan Malaysian background into, uh, you know, immigrant boy Melbourne. And then you kind of fell into this work through working in the multicultural kind of asylum seekers and uh, in that kind of space. Was was religion there from the, from the start or was it more support work? Yeah, a bit of both. But yep. uh, what started off was a religion, but then pretty quickly, if you, what we were thinking about was the fact that he's, you know, so often we get hung up on the nouns instead of the verbs. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> what it's about is really just getting out there and loving people and yeah. trying to make a difference. And then uh, if you do that, you can't go wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, don't worry about all the, all the other stuff, you know. <laughs> so always just to focus on how, how does this actually look like in this world? You know, how does it play out when someone's seeking asylum? You know, one of the most formative moments of my life was running a bit of a youth club for asylum seekers. And this 12-year-old girl, and this was about 99 before independence in East Timor. This is around June, July. 99 independence didn't happen until august october with the referendum and you know we were saying what what, what are you going to do and we did this kind of stupid exercise where you say look what, what do you hope for in the future and for me at the time you know when if you asked me at 12 i would have said a yellow walkman right you remember those things oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the cool cats had those yeah, yeah, yeah. so i think <laughs> what cd you'd put on it dre yeah. 2001 maybe or? No, i'm talking cassettes <laughs> yeah. mate. cassettes yeah. right a tape deck yeah. i know exactly the one you're talking about too yeah <laughs> i think it's probably worth a fortune yeah. yeah yeah and this kid just eyeballed me and she said look you know can you just help us somehow because they're talking about deporting us again and I'm, I'm not ready to die yet. Mm. And I thought, shit, why is that? Oh, can we swear? Yeah. Sorry. Jeepers, you know, like I thought this idea of helping people, you know, when you do it, when you start, it's usually all about your head, you know, think what a good bloke I am helping out. And then when that moves to your heart, you're, you're, you're gone for life, right? Yeah, you're captured yeah, yeah. by this stuff. And, you well, know, this became life and death. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, mm. you know, and then all of a sudden I, I didn't set out to become – a political activist or anything like that. I just said what the government is doing in this scenario is clearly wrong. Yeah. So that you know that put me on on the streets and protesting and writing letters and and it wasn't because I hated the government. It was because I loved this kid. Yeah, yeah. And and this community and and that kind of really just has been the way I've always gone. Is you know we won't make poverty history until we make it personal. Yeah. You know, it becomes a life and blood, flesh and. Uh, flesh person you know flesh person what does that mean (laughs) you know you know what i mean yeah yeah. and um you know that's the sort of stuff you know that gets me it's not an ideological pursuit you know it's you know if you want to get into this gig you know you 
Do you love people is yeah. the big question. Can you give us a bit of background information on, on how the Wayside Chapel came to be? How did it start? We're guessing it existed I mean, before Malcolm Turnbull. <laughs> yeah. Well, a long, long time ago before <laughs> the cross was called Potts Point. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of this weird kind of place where you had your Elizabeth Bay, Double Bay type of set alongside your Woolloomooloo. And the cross was kind of where everyone came together. Mm-hmm. And so it's always had that in its DNA. And so at the top, uh, top end of town and the you know, wrong side of the tracks meeting in the middle. Bang! Right yeah, there, yeah, you know yeah. the wharfies, and then and then yeah. in the uh, in the Vietnam War, the uh, the wharf, the naval base, the down Americans, there, yeah, that's where yeah, yeah, heroin yeah. hit the cross, yeah, and right. all of a sudden party time, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you know all, and that's kind of the genesis of the cross. The cross had a lot of empty buildings, yeah. uh, so there were a lot of people squatting there, artists, beatniks, bohemians, but also old people. Yeah. And if you look at some of the archival footage, that's where Ted Knoff's kind. Of, he came from. Um, before he was in the cross, he was in Wilcannia. Yeah. So he was out far west yeah. and he developed a really strong connection with the Aboriginal community out there. Yeah. And then their starting of the wayside was just going to take food to elderly people living in these squats. And then, you know, with the Vietnam War and the hippies and the beatniks kind of hitting in, the, the cross became the centre of Sydney, yeah. right? You know, judges, lawyers, crooked cops, bikies, hippies, they all kind yeah. of came together and they all came to this place, you know, yeah. 24 hours a day. The worst coffee in Sydney, but it was the place you could come and and, and talk about yeah, life. You can de- yeah. still get a coffee for I am. It is the worst. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know that's where so many things started uh, out of that place from relationships with people. So, the freedom rides left yeah. from the doorstep uh, yeah. of Wayside, really? and then also what else did we have starting out of there? The, the medically supervised injecting centres yeah. started out of there, and that wasn't because it was we needed to do something politically. Is you know it was driven by saying you know we're sick of picking up dead bodies. Yeah. Life education started out of there because once the drugs hit, you know, these straight-laced church people were like, what's happening with these kids? (laughs) And then they talked about life and your potential and, you know, had one of the rooms painted with all the stars in the universe saying, look, you know, we're made out of stardust here and, you know, we have so much potential. You know, that kind of humanity of everything, the humanity of man was kind of the big phrase back then. So, you know, that's where we, we um, Healthy Harold kicked out of the wayside, really. Really? Ultimately, yeah. Harold, so. that, that's a big get. That's a big claim. There. And that's now life education. Very independent to us. But, you know, yeah. where else would you want to learn about drugs but in the back of a caravan with a, from a giraffe? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything more Australian than that? <laughs> uh, I always wondered why they chose a giraffe. Mm. <laughs> you mean the prime possum? Of, it's a possum telling of, you go to bed on prime of television. Of all the... <laughs> Of all the animals on earth to choose, they chose a giraffe. Mm. Well, I don't think agro was around then. No, you know? no, no, no. But like an echidna or, or <laughs> yeah. anything. It know? was pre-Olympics too, remember? That's before <laughs> yeah. Sid, Ollie and Lizzie. Yeah. Now, you obviously, you talk about that, how the church had to change their tact. You know, it's no longer dealing with old winos on the, on the church steps anymore. You're dealing with heroin and I guess visible social issues that, you know, people weren't conditioned to at that point and mm-hmm. weren't conditioned to seeing what where would where are we at now is heroin still a problem in the inner city or in the outer suburbs is it what, what is it is it crystal meth is what what are what are you guys kind of dealing with on a, on a day-to-day kind of basis yeah so this little thing called coronavirus that's yeah. been around you may have heard of it yeah yeah, not yeah. sure you know <laughs> it's, it's a bigger uh, threat than everything right it is <laughs> responsible for the overuse of the word unprecedented yeah yeah, uh, yeah. which i will yeah. blame it for forever <laughs> that kind of led to a bit of a heroin drought yeah right. and so it created a meth boom yep so yep. heroin is still quite big but uh yeah you know backyard meth is kind of one of the biggest things going on part of what we do is our our 
our power lies in our proximity to the gutter. Mm-hmm. And so we'll be there and ready to love whoever walks in. And mm-hmm. so we see there's a variety of issues that come in. Domestic violence has been a big thing. We've started to see kids back in the cross yep. uh, that we haven't seen for quite a while. Yep. Actually, you know, they're really a lot of youth workers and other organisations kind of left the cross about a decade ago. Yep. And uh, we've seen a few kids dribble in. It's an inner city kind yeah. of location. So we so have kids from the country. They do have street... There in. is an issue of street kids in Sydney. Like, you know, I guess for people who aren't familiar with Sydney town, you'd look at a movie like Two Hands, you know, mm. those little kids getting around for, you know, major part of the film. But mm. they have the kids... You do have... You would see kids sleeping on the street in, in inner city Sydney. Well, it tends to be where you end up if yeah. you drift. So we... Um, you know, when you grow up feeling a bit different or in a situation where your home is less safe than the streets, yeah. and that can be anywhere. So, but you know, you, yeah. what you do in a major city, this is why we see it mostly in the CBDs, is you kind of run away from home and hop on a train. And where do you end up? You end up in the central railway station Index. or whatever the capital city mm. is. So we had two kids from Dubbo last week, yeah. you know, and uh, they were just partying, wanting yeah. to be all big and 17. And they ended up getting robbed and everything like that. And, uh, First train out of here. Yeah, said, yeah. Oh, you want to get back in, but, you know, when you're 17, mate, yeah, you're bulletproof. money for a fair. He's like, we're please. sweet, no worries, you know, we got this. You go, well, you've actually been robbed and you're at the wayside, you know. Yeah. Really? But, you know. Talk about so, a gap year. And then, but then you get kids who um, are growing up in pretty abusive households yeah. or who are gay and just not understood in, in their suburb or their country town. Yeah. So they're kind to get out of there and unfortunately when you drift into the cbd you're either going to get lucky and find people who are there for you or you're going to get dragged under pretty quick yeah and, th- and there's always going to be that, those two elements kind of competing so what does a wayside chapel do to support these people that come for help you know we we, we like to say that we're we're always open you know we, we we're open 365 days a year and uh we're, we're there with open arms for people who usually come to us on the the first time they come to us is on the worst day of their life, you know. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Uh, you know, we, we've got a big philosophy of engagement there where we um, we don't start with a problem. You know, we, we say no one's a problem to be solved, they're a person to be met. Because we don't know their background or their issue and we won't ask. But we're there, you know, sometimes we just need to embrace people, make them feel safe. Because usually if they've drifted into the CBD, you know, no one ever wakes up and says, when I grow up, I want to be homeless. Yeah. You know, I want to be sleeping rough. It's kind of a slow, gradual kind of fall from grace. You know, some sometimes it's pretty quick. We have people who walk in our doors who, you know, a few months ago were high-flying corporate executives, but the, the cocaine and party lifestyles yeah. kind of tumbled, uh, fallen apart pretty quick for them. So, you know, we're just yeah. there. We've got a little cafe there that people yeah. can sit and chill. Yeah. We've got toilets and showers. And uh, people can slowly get used to, you know, they need to learn to trust before anything can really happen. And, you know, we say if someone walks away feeling met rather than worked on, it's been a good day. And so there's a whole bunch of support services out there. But primarily we're just there. You know, we've got 700 volleys, you know, we and, and the older the better. Yeah, It's a bit hard through corona, but, you know, we need people just to be those kind of loving grannies and grandpas for them. How do you, you, you spend a lot of time in um, living in Mount Druitt? We've interviewed a few people from that area on, on the podcast. We had Bam Bam Tuivasa is a boxer that came out of there, a UFC mm. fighter that came out of there. We've got a lot of footballers and stuff, but it also is well known as kind of the hard knocks kind of part of Sydney uh, on the outer. It's not particularly inner city at all. What was it like out there? Was that where you were uh, harboring 
Olympians? Was that where you're harboring them, or was that a, was that another time of your life when you? No, that was ten years back. Uh, Twenty years ago, we were in Melbourne in a suburb called Springvale, which yeah. is now gentrified quite yeah. a bit. But it was kind of a high Southeast Asian uh, immigrant population, uh, and there was a lot of heroin, and a lot of gangs in that area back in Springvale. And then in the um, early two thousands, we moved up and lived for just over a decade in the Druitt. Yeah, right. And, uh, and and you were doing the similar thing out there. I mean, from what I've read, you you had a bit of a Qantas Club house. You know, it was almost before you before you had Wayside, you had people coming pulling in for a couple hours, couple nights. What what was it? What was the setup there? Yeah, we just ran an open home there. Yeah. You know, where you know it's as much as possible to create a safe place. Look, mm-hmm. we love the Druid, and you see real life. You know, you see the best of people and you see the worst of people. And what, what do we say? A lot of people there tell a lot of lies, but there's not a lot of bullshit there. Yeah. You know, people are straight up. Yeah. And, and I love that about it. And, uh, you know, I raised my family there. Raised, we raised our kids there. We, we, um, we, we'll probably end up living there one day again. Just got this gig now. But, you know, it, it can be a rough place at times and, and people need a place just to chill out. Just to sit down, you know, we um, I think 60% of the kids are growing up in single-parent households. So hospitality was a big thing for my missus and uh, we would cook meals and, and just say, just sit down and eat a meal with a knife and fork <laughs> yeah. and uh, just, just chill for a yeah. moment. It was also a safe space for... DV's pretty high, domestic yep. violence in that in that community. And uh, just to create a little safe space for kids kind of just to chill out. We used to have kids running amok in the place and, you know, just to give them a bit of a break from everything else but also give them a bit of an experience of some alternatives out there. So, again, for those on the tractor out at Mount Druitt, it, um, there's a lot of public housing out there. And as we've all kind of seen in the newspapers down in Sydney, Public housing is starting to shrink, you know, the, there isn't as much investment in public housing, there's public housing being torn down and they're putting up, you know, big towers of yuppies there where the public towers once were. What's it been like on sort of the coalface of trying to find people crisis accommodation, trying to help people into housing? Has it been easier or, or is it getting harder? Yeah, so what what you're saying is absolutely is what's tracking. There's no real shared vision for public housing and the way we're going to care for people who are who are doing it tough, you know. And we need to really continue to work out. You know, we're, there's a lot of good initiatives around reducing street sleeping, but it will only it's always going to hit a brick wall if there's not enough housing stock yeah. Yeah. out there. And we we do have an opportunity now to have what you know what what's the uh, moniker there, which is uh, you know let's have a bit of a housing led recovery. Yeah. You know why can't that be public housing led yeah. recovery? Yeah. We need to have beds for yeah. people. And I'm not talking about dormitories or boarding houses. I mean, they, they have their limits. People who work in those places do the best they can, but you're still crowding a whole bunch of people with a whole bunch of issues that all yeah. are going to riff off each other and there's always going to be a bit of a volatile space. Yeah. What we're seeing out in some of the public housing communities where you know Sydney built these huge tracts of public housing out in Mount Druitt but also Campbelltown is as it the salt and peppering they call it now which is you know knocking down and building private developments in the midst of it all is uh, it's crowding overcrowding in in the houses that are left and so you know we we saw houses where there are 20 23 people living in the one three bedroom house no one's asleep you know kids are falling behind at school because they're trying to get something to eat there's there's not even a floor to sleep on yeah correct which is why you know we ran our house kind of just come in and chill so some kids would just come in, have a piece of toast and just 
sitting in the corner quietly because yeah. they just needed that peace and quiet. Yeah. I mean, that, they're the kinds of practical things that happen that you can do to assist when there's government policies that are kind of overcrowding places. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it just creates more and more kind of issues. You know, kids are running the risk of falling behind. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to knock the area too. There's so many good things happening in that yeah. neighbourhood too. And there are so many good local leaders that are yeah. um, really standing up. And um, as we see, you've interviewed a few of them. Yeah. And Nakia Louie, yep. you know, is one of the uh, amazing Aboriginal leaders that is, uh, was born and bred in that, in that yep. neighbourhood. So um, a lot of good coming out of it too. But, you know, there's there's a short-sightedness in government policy. Yep. Yeah. And uh, and I'm not just throwing it at one side. It's all sides. You know, there's no vision for it. And we're, we're seeing that the overcrowding then eventually leads to homelessness because yep. all of a sudden, you know, I mean, in, in a practical thing, it's a breakdown in the community's ability to support an individual. That's how homelessness and, and occurs. Do you, do you think... I wouldn't be as harsh as saying Reaganism, um, you know, in the Australian political class, but there is a big element of bootstraps amongst amongst our leaders. I look at Morrison. I know you said you you know you you, you don't hate the government. You you love the people you're supporting, but you look at someone like Morrison, who uh, was publicly educated, but you know, in the best public schools in the country, caught a bus ten minutes to school each day, and his dad was a head of police. And he kind of looks at himself within the Liberal Party as the rose in the concrete because everyone else went to these elite private schools. And he honestly believes in his mind that he did it for himself and he came from nothing. What are you going to kind of say to that kind of attitude when you see people who have really just taken knocks every time they got their head above water? Yeah, how, how do you explain that, especially to the people that are making decisions on, on whether or not someone's going to have a house to live in or someone's going to have a, a bed or a place to stay? How do you explain that actually... You know, there are some people that the deck was marked from, mm. from the from the moment they kind of hit the ground. Some of the founding myths of, of white settlement in this country are, are still pretty strong and pretty hard to shake, right? And one is, yeah. you know, the uh, level playing field and that we're the country of the fair go. And we always pick out the exceptions here and yeah. there, you know, to say, oh, look at this person, they made it. Yeah. But it just kind of runs roughshod over the reality is we don't start from the same point on the <laughs> when the starter's gun yeah. goes, right? Yeah. And we sadly have so many people in leadership who think that the starting point they had was is normative when it is clearly not. Is Bronte Public School. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. You know, you think about your education and your peer group, where they are now. Um, I was lucky enough to, uh, to go to a beautiful public school and a couple of people have done really well. Mm-hmm. In, in primary school, I went to a public school and some really struggling. And, uh, and then I was lucky enough to go to a private school mm-hmm. and... The people in that private school weren't better. They were better connected, yep. you know, and, and there's always that opportunity if my world falls apart that I will just tap on the old boys network. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. just sounds horrible, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the old boys network, but I've got a safety net. Yeah. Right? Mm. That, that is, you know, when I look at some of the kids that uh, I know and respect and are young adults now, half of their old boy network are dead. Yeah, yeah, you know, at yeah. 25, 30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is clearly, you know, when we say we start at the same point, is are you really telling me you're starting at the same point for a, a single parent family where there are eight kids and you're the seventh kid? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Are you telling me you're, you're starting from the same point as them? Yeah. Because I, I, can't, I can't hear that argument yeah. at all. And, and, and the, you know, the difference is uh, 
one person's safety net is, oh, well, I'll just get into real estate. <laughs> and the other person's safety net is wayside chapels. So. <laughs> Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, that kind oh, of that military. bootstrap, you know, if we just redistribute, you know, we've got, there's enough there. Like, what a load of crap. Try, yeah. try living on that, on some of those allowances and pensions that yeah. are going around. Mm, I mean, are you kidding me? How does Wayside sit in the greater kind of uh, Christian community? I'm sure there's people you help that, uh, you know, some of the more conservative ends of the Christian kind of spectrum would would probably deny their existence in, in some capacity. <laughs> look, sometimes we have people come in, they say, look, I get what you're doing. These are super conservative kind of religious people. And they say, but my one problem, John, is, you know, you're not saving people. And that's usually when I show them the door and tell them to nick off. Yeah. And I say, I am saving you. I'm saving them from you. Yeah. Right? <laughs> now piss off. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we've we never said we, um, we're better than anyone. We just say what we are trying to do is just, to be involved in this neighbourhood that we're in. So we're here in King's Cross and we're also in Bondi Beach. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of people sleep rough. You know, the eastern suburbs of Sydney, believe it or not, is where the highest uh, concentration of of rough sleepers are in in New South Wales, which kind of makes sense. I mean, the the second highest is uh, the Byron Bay Shire. Sure, So, you know, so we... Is that gentrification? People have been priced out on the spot or...? People are kind of driven towards nicer areas, or what, what's the what is the reason for that? Look, there there are a few factors at play, yeah. but you know the the thing we don't talk about is uh, caravan parks. They're the kind of place between the house and the street, yeah. and they're actually uh, they're keeping a lot of people from complete abject homelessness. But yeah. you know there are some pretty rough stuff goes on in some of those caravan parks out there and yeah. uh you know people kind of drift around and and then you know if you're looking for a bit of support you know you you'd be Silly not to stay in a neighbourhood where people are more affluent. Yeah. And but also I think people want to much safer, aren't they, really? And people wanna help. Yeah. If I was homeless, I'd probably be out in Bondi Beach rather than Blacktown. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It just just makes sense. Yeah. It just it's tracks. Like, it's like San Francisco, Venice yeah. Beach, you know, all those kind of towns in America that have giant homeless populations. They never have winters. That's a big thing. Too. Yeah, and that's a big. And yeah. there is a there is a migration north yep. as well through the colder months, mm-hmm. and so that is just a natural. You know, you get your one ticket, train ticket a year to get as far north as you can, and <laughs> yeah. and go up there and uh, stay where it's a bit warmer, where you're not going to freeze to death as well. So it just kind of tracks there, and what, so what, we, I, I tap my hat off to people who do that. What do you think of the, uh, in in terms of that that nice edge of between stable kind of middle-class existence and homelessness is it is a nice edge i mean there was one example i saw back when everyone was talking about the eastern suburbs during those by-elections they all had um down there and phelps got in they were talking about homelessness and it was the first time i would have ever considered it but they found an 80 80 something year old woman sleeping in her car mm. because her and her husband had been renting their whole lives in the same place and he died mm. and the rent stopped getting paid mm. and then all of a sudden you know never considered aged care and didn't have the means for it. How often do you see that where someone's just more so, you know, they're shocked by the new living arrangement of being homeless, but they're just shocked that they'd never thought of that they could be homeless? That line between housed and homeless yeah. is a lot thinner than we yeah. would like to think. Yeah. Uh, we um, There was a report recently where they said, you know, the average Aussie family has eight-week savings in the bank, mm. right? That, that's pretty skinny. Yeah. And we think about rents or mortgages that are just so exorbitant. You want to live in this anywhere within 30, 40 clicks of this CBD. Yeah. It costs a fortune. And, you know, we very easily, you know, can be, you know, through a tragedy, 
like a or uh, an episode of, of mental illness or some sort of crisis entering your life that things can pretty quickly spiral out of control and then there's a lot of shame associated with that you know which is why a lot of uh, women end up uh, on the streets through a process of sleeping in the car yeah. and then eventually the car breaks down and, and things kind of fall apart and, and they end up on the streets so you know, we see so often, you know, um, we saw someone who was ostensibly a soccer mum mm-hmm. end up sleeping in a car with the kids within uh, six weeks. You know, um, there was a, a tragedy in the family. Dad died kind of in the grief. It all kind of fell apart. And, you know, that was like yeah. you would never have imagined that, you know, Cookie that cutter, August. I mean, even through coronavirus, we yeah. had um, someone who came in to our centre at Bondi Beach, who high-flying consultant uh, with a couple of kids and all of a sudden the work just stopped in consultancy and, and within two months, no money, no food, no, you know, Christmas yeah. was coming up, you know, and it was just like, I supported you, right? I'm, yeah. a, I, I'm, a, I'm a supporter of Wayside and now I'm asking for support. Yeah. You know, within two months. Wow. You, you find supporters, I mean, I'll go back to... The, the, the idea of supporting Wayside Chapel, you, you have a community of high flyers as well. It's because it is, I guess, so prevalent to inner city. It's, it's got a bit of a profile. You do have, your, as I mentioned before, Turnbulls, David Wenham, you, mm. people like that have known about Wayside. Maybe they've lived in the cross at some point and mm. kind of been around it. How do you keep those, like, you know, your job isn't, you're not salesman either, you know? Mm. You, how, do you, how do you kind of keep that support? You do campaigns, you run campaigns, you, you how, how do you kind of keep that? philanthropy coming in yeah you know this is it's not about being a robin hood type of yeah. arrangement here yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's about trying to capture people's hearts and, yeah. and most people get it most people yeah. love it too you know we we share the same patch of dirt as yeah. other people and i think when people come into our doors and we invite everyone to come and check us out is we're not a crisis center we're a community center mm-hmm. and the biggest issue that i think people are facing is not a lack of cash it's loneliness yeah is that disconnection and that goes just as equally for someone whose world's fallen apart as well as for someone who is living in their fine and fancy apartment in Potts Point mm. but their kids don't want to spend any time with them and are just waiting for them to die for their inheritance. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, there's that kind of... That <laughs> That's pretty prevalent too in the East, right? <laughs> Absolutely, right? Especially and, in Potts Point too. I mean, there's lots of maiden aunts up in those big buildings. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we, we have people who... Uh, our volunteers have actually found it harder through shutdown than and some of our punters who have been on the streets. Yeah. Because it's saying, this is who I am. You know, this yeah. is where I come and, and, and I'm loved and that three hours of being sworn is the highlight of my week right Uh, because again it's that kind of that real life you know Mm. and people treat you as as not as what your um, title or Mm. your station is in life it's are you a good person? Yeah. And and that's kind of what we do. And so, but we also run campaigns yeah, too. Yeah, so yeah. we've got Valentine's Day coming up. Yeah. And what's, say, what's the plan there? What's the Valentine's Day? Oh, we've up? got a bit of fun. We say, you know, all the way. So I'd, all we do is it's about love. Love is at the center of it. We say, think about it. You know, nothing says I love you like a clean pair of undies to yeah. someone who slept <laughs> rough for the night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, look, <laughs> I say Valentine's Day for most of us, is designed to try and get someone's undies off. Yeah. Well, instead, how about we help them get them on, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put them on a homeless person. Yeah. And, uh, 
somebody who's doing it tough. And uh, if people, you know, log on and check out the Wayside Chapel website, you'll see the link to the Valentine's Day yeah. campaign. And if you if you send us in the money, we'll send your loved one or your secret admirer a little uh, card that says, you know, for Valentine's Day this year, uh, I bought a pair of undies for someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's a great initiative. For, for anyone listening who wants to wants to help out, you've you've heard all about Wayside Chapel today, but that is waysidechapel.org.au forward slash Valentines. Um, it's a good cause. Uh, they've obviously just come off a big, big couple months with Christmas, and um, you know yeah. all, the, all the support on, they've provided on the back of a big year, mm. really. Yeah, it's an been unprecedented year. <laughs> and, and and we're in the middle of a year where yeah. we just don't know what's yeah. going to happen, no. right? It, it feels a bit, I think the best adjective is polypy, yeah. you know? You yeah. just, it feels good and all of a sudden, whoop, you yeah. know, there's more pain. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the government's about to cut the cord in a month's time, yeah, so yeah, who knows yeah, what's yeah. going to happen there. Absolutely, and, and that's kind of the big worry, the big unknown too. Yeah. And we're ready, we're there, <laughs> but uh, we, we, you know, it's yeah, we're just saying, who knows what's going to come next? You know, yeah. we, you know, international travel's not going to be there. You know, international students aren't going to be there. Kids, if you're studying in high school. Never been a better time to get into the university course of your dreams. <laughs> yeah, 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 there's not going to be, you're not going to be uh, uh, competing with too many hyper academics from Beijing in the next couple of years in university. I don't think so. Maybe no, not. And, and you know, I think we've got some strange. You know, we we have to draw a line somewhere, but the lines that are drawn just look stranger and stranger. Yeah, right? Yeah. You know? I, I think Darwin Uni just chartered a flight and brought in students. You think that makes sense, right? And yeah. uh, you know, we. Tell you what, there's only one way this forest gets into Australia, right? And that's through the hotel quarantine yeah, system, yeah, right? Yeah. We need to double the pay of every quarantine worker so they're mm. not going and doing Uber driving yeah. after their shifts, <laughs> yeah. right? Seriously, the biggest economic risk to this country now is the hotel quarantine yeah, system. Yeah. Triple their wages, right? Yeah. And perhaps maybe don't run it out of hotels in the centre of the CBD. That's also a good idea. Yeah. We're catching the train home. <laughs> it's just, it just doesn't yeah. make a lot of yeah. sense. And being the way, like- you know, I think you can go anywhere. It's just let's make it a steel ring fence yeah. around that place, mm-hmm. right? And it's not that hard to do. But let's incentivise it. Yeah. And, and, you know, let's let's do better by our, by our aged well, care workers as well. Toowoomba, Wellcamp Airport, waiting oh, yeah. there, mate. They've got mining. They've got mining accommodation they're ready to go just give them the word scomo (laughs) (laughs) so just before you go what is the best way for people to support the wayside chapel who are listening at home who might not be from sydney who yeah, great. Well, normally I'd say come in, visit yeah. us, but uh, probably stay at home <laughs> through this time. And uh, look, log on, get to uh, check out the Valentine's Day appeal. But I, I send a weekly little note out where I kind of write about what's going on mm-hmm. in the community and kind of get into the rhythm of that. And, um, you know, we're all about trying to help people go back onto that journey of feeling human again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because uh, that's, uh, you know, and for that means, and that means for people who think they're more than human, we knock them down a few pegs. Yep. You know, yep. we don't. It's when they walk into the place and they yeah, realise, yeah. oh. The world will knock them down a few <laughs> pegs when they, when they see what's <laughs> going on. The but then for those who feel less than, we say, no, actually, you know, you're loved and you're somebody's son and you're somebody's daughter and, and 
you know you've got you've got a purpose in life too so you know get get involved get familiar with our ethos and then when things become a little bit easier to move around come and visit come and say good day come and have a couple with me i'll shout you a terrible coffee mm-hmm. and uh, i'll show you around the place and you but just international roast what kind of, what are we dealing with here my, gonna... a gunpowder gray mate that's my uh, <laughs> my dad's brand of choice international roast <laughs> mine too <laughs> well thank you for joining us father john you're doing uh, I wouldn't say God's work. I think you're doing the work that, that we all should be doing on a day-to-day basis as, as members of a community, wherever we're in the bush or in the city. But it's good to know that there are people uh, yeah, banging the drum and, and providing support to those who uh, you know the rest of us forgot. So thank you. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for coming in.